Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode... Is inflation blowing against the door and rattling the windows of your retirement? Is your 401k now a 301k and headed toward being a 201k? With the stock market sinking like a rock, are you beginning to wonder what the future looks like and whether you'll be able to retire and stay retired? Hmm, sounds to me like you need a good dose of the truth. The truth about taxes and retirement, and maybe about money and investing in general. Well... We've got good medicine coming for you. Sit back, put your feet up, prepare to have the cool cream of common sense applied to your economic sunburn by our resident expert, J. Barry Watts, here on The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. I am Barry Watts, the founder of the Wealthcare Corporation, where we're dedicated to helping people retire with confidence and age with financial dignity. Now, I used to say we're dedicated to helping people age with dignity, but two T's there, but it just occurred to me that, you know, like when you go to the hospital or the doctor's office and you have to wear one of those gowns that has the two little ties in the back and sometimes they don't get them tied and Uh you stroll down the hallway. uh, There's a breeze. There's a bit of a breeze. You know, you could be the richest person on the planet and still not necessarily have dignity at certain moments. So I changed it. I said, we help people retire with confidence and age with financial dignity. Because uh, we can't always guarantee that your butt won't ever be uh, flowing in the breeze. So uh, anyway, that's what we do. Is that cool with you, Patrice? That is very cool with me. I <laughs> no pun intended about the cool part, you know, yeah. with the breeze and the gown and all that. We got kind it. Of stuff. We got it. So I don't know if you've noticed, uh, paid any attention to the news, but times are kind of tumultuous. The stock market, depending on how you measure it, but by any measure has shed about 20% real estate. Which is everybody's safe haven uh, that everybody thinks can only go up. Well, it's on the precipice of a bear market. Mm-hmm. Patrice, you were going to say something and I stepped on you there. No, I was going to say, I thought somebody was down more than 20%. Oh, yeah. The NASDAQ yeah. is down seriously more than 20%. There you go. As I said, just depends on how you measure it. Now, conventionally, when we, we use the words the stock market, we're typically talking about the S&P 500, which is an index, a basket of 503 different stocks. But you could be talking about the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is 30 different stocks. So there is no the stock market. It just depends on, on how you are measuring what you're using as your measure. But whatever you're using as a measure right now is down. And that's the big point. Uh, It's been a really difficult time in the markets and people have fled to real estate. And I see more and more people going in the real estate business every day. Everybody's about to get rich in real estate. And suddenly real estate is on the edge of a bear market. I got a notice uh, on uh, Monday that indicated when you read the math that real estate was tipping toward a bear currently. So it's a tumultuous time. And on top of that, baby ain't got no formula. 
How did we ever get to a position where we don't have formula for our babies in the United States? And the gas pumps aren't working. I don't know, Patrice, what it's like uh, where you live in the East, but here in the Midwest, sometimes you just pull up to the gas pump and they've got a sack over the gas pump says, nope, no gas today. We haven't had that yet, but the prices are getting to the point where people are putting gas uh, bags right over their whole cars and saying, this car ain't going out today. Well, that's the whole point. And so it's a crazy time economically. It's a crazy time when you can't feed your babies, but it's a crazy time. When you're when you're being uh, uh, interviewed at a hearing by the United States Senate to become a member of the Supreme Court and you tell them that you can't tell a boy from a girl, these are just crazy, crazy times. Are we going to talk about food prices, too? Well, yeah, we are, in fact, in just a moment, because that's one of the things that is influencing what's going on in the inflation world. But on top of the crazy times and the food prices, as you mentioned, which we'll get to, We just spent uh, and sent $40 billion over to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Now, some people say that that $40 billion will come back. Don't worry about it. It's coming back into the pockets of the politicians who sent it. I don't know. I hate to think that's true. But you know what? The older I get, the more cynical I get. I think that could be true. Their pockets, too. Are they even going to spend it? They're going to keep it. Well, the, the point is we have so many needs at home, so many things that need to be taken care of at home. And it is true that I think we should be taking care of things at home first. And I don't understand why we uh, have made a policy of basically buying our friends in an auction-like market. Whoever provides them the most money is who gets to be their friend. I don't think that's the way that you run a country. But who who am I? What do I know? You know, nobody's elected me to anything, which is why I get to pontificate on all these sorts of things during unnerving times like this that you and I live in. And I don't know about you, Patrice, but as I talk with my clients, one of the things that we're all doing is we're kind of working to keep our wits about us. Because if you just absorb all this stuff, it can kind of begin to gnaw at your soul a little bit, make you discouraged about it. And so in the midst of this, we've got to manage our own emotions and our own thoughts. And and so I want to give you a little tip about how to do that. When it comes to all the unnerving things that are going on around you, ask yourself two simple questions. Number one, does it matter? Does it matter? Because there's a lot of crap that comes at you every day that is interesting that you are baited to engage in. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. Your your speaking on it doesn't matter. Your thinking about it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect you personally directly in the long run. So the first question to ask is, does it matter? And the second question to ask is, can I control it? Because if it matters, but you have absolutely no control on it, well, then effectively, it doesn't matter. It doesn't get any of your mental real estate. If you can control it, but it's not important, doesn't matter, then why would you give any mental real estate to it? So unless the answer is yes to both those questions, does it matter and can I control it? Then we aren't going to spend very much time or energy dealing with it. Instead, we're going to focus on things that we can control, things that do matter and that make a difference. So that's going to be the focus of our podcast today. And hopefully it's the focus of really all the work that we do, trying to help people go from all the crazy things going on in the world and kind of zero in on the things that matter and the things that they have some control over. Oh, but Barry, yeah, Barry, I thought we were talking about stocks and the stock market and mm-hmm. the commodities market. And mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we are. That matters, but can we control it? Well, yes, we can control our behavior toward it. And that's what we're going to speak about as we get on through our podcast today. You know, Patrice, do you know who the wisest man who ever lived reportedly was? Solomon. Solomon. That's exactly right. Solomon wrote some books. He's a prolific author. 
In fact, in one of those books is a book of wisdom that happens to be found in the Bible. It's the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs in chapter 4, verse 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all thy getting, get understanding. Get wisdom. It's the principal thing. And in all thy getting, get understanding. Now, I'd like to think, Patrice, that what we do here on the truth about taxes and retirement is that we share wisdom, wisdom about the economy, the financial markets and taxes and investing, wisdom about helping people to retire and things of that nature, even wisdom about things to think about, whether you should give mental real estate to that or not, as we were talking about just a moment ago. Uh, and the process of sharing that wisdom, I hope, helps you have some understanding about how the markets work and how the economy works and how retirement works and what things you ought to focus on. So what I want to do today is dump into your brain some understanding about what is driving inflation, about what's going on with the levels of the stock market currently. And then I'm going to share with you some good news about how you might take advantage of this current down sell-off in the stock market. So that's going to be our mission for today. So first, let's start with inflation. Have you been paying attention? Patrice, you mentioned you had talked to me about food prices. Oh, yes. Inflation at the food level. That is definitely rising. We're seeing that. Look at your, your commodity prices are going up. Um, I'm thinking not just food. We'd mentioned gasoline too, Barry. I mean, that's that's a commodity that's going up. It is a commodity. In fact, oil is. So when we begin to think about inflation on a macro level and just measure it wide, not any one particular segment or any one particular set of products, you know that it costs eight and a half percent more this year to live than it did last year. So that means if you made 100,000 last year, you've got to make 108,500 to enjoy the same lifestyle this year. Now, if that goes on for just a couple of more years, You're suddenly- you're yeah, behind. It's going to be 124,000 and then 132,000. And if you went on five years, it could be 140,000. Well, your portfolio can't handle that for very long. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I, I don't think Jeff Bezos listens to my podcast. If he does, hey, Jeff, that wasn't for you. Probably your portfolio would probably be fine. And uh, Elon Musk, your portfolio will be fine. I'm all for you buying Twitter, by the way. Get after it, big. But the average folks who listen to my podcast, people are going to work every day, running businesses and companies and, and doing their work, taking care of their family, going home and feeding their dog and mowing their yard and all those kinds of things. They can't afford for it to cost 8% more to live every year for very many years. And, and so the question is, well, how did this even happen? How did we get here? And the answer is we got here by three tiny steps. I really, I should call them waves instead of steps. So let's talk about the three waves of inflation that have hit us. The first wave came in March of 2020. Now you'll remember oh, yes. that what happened in March of 2020, Patrice? Oh, that was COVID. The market tanked. COVID came. Yep. Yes. COVID showed up and the market did tank on top of that. So when COVID, the pandemic hit, uh, if you were like me, first of all, you were surprised because I thought the pandemic would hit in March and it'd be over by May. And I even said that publicly. I, so obviously I proved that I'm no Dr. Fauci. <laughs> you, were, you weren't alone. Many, many people said the same thing. Yeah, I thought, that, okay, we'll get through this. It's another thing the media is blowing up. And I think to some degree it was that. But when the pandemic hit, you'll remember the first thing the government did is basically began shutting down the American economy. They began saying, okay, well, you can't go to work today. Nobody can open the doors today. We're no longer in business. They sent all the employees home. 
not knowing if or when they would ever really come back to work. And then the federal government began issuing checks to millions and millions of people, millions and millions of dollars, providing subsidies to help them live since they weren't going to work. And they began issuing checks to companies to make payroll so that the companies would keep paying the people for not working. Uh, I'm scratching my head about that one. <laughs> so all these people are sitting at home, essentially getting checks from the government. They aren't allowed to leave their homes and go out and socialize and go to work and do what they normally do. So what do they do instead? They shop. Online. And that shopping, which was online, drove up the demand for goods and products. And just as people began shopping at all, all around the world, buying all these goods and product, products, then another thing happened. You remember all the companies making those goods and products had shut down and were no longer producing goods and products. So supply the, supply, chain issues. <laughs> the supply chain was constrained. We couldn't get toilet paper. My wife is going from store to store looking at, for toilet paper. We bought some of it one roll at a time. And I, we will never again in our life not have enough toilet paper in the house. I think we could go six to nine months at the present time if I were just guessing. If I may, I remember going to Costco to get paper towels and toilet paper. They had a policeman there. Guarding the toilet paper. That's Guarding crazy. Toilet paper. America has lost its mind. There's a great news clip to be produced just about the idea of policemen guarding toilet paper. So, so think about this, Patrice. What's happened is just as people have more money to spend and they have nothing else to do but spend money and they have a desire to purchase these things, there weren't as many things to purchase because of supply chain constraints. Now, let's go back to economics 101. When supply shrinks and demand increases, what does that do to prices? There's less supply and there's more demand. Mm -hmm. It drives prices up. And so the first wave of inflation that we experienced came because people were shopping for goods at a time when goods were not being produced. And therefore, the prices of those goods went up. And that was the first of the three waves of inflation that came onto our shore. Now, lest you think that that's the only thing that has influenced prices, you need to be aware of the second wave. Do you remember when, when we all went home and quit working? We shut down. The restaurants all shut down. Travel shut down. You couldn't take a cruise anymore. There were no vacations. The hotels shut down. There's no place to go and stay. Oh, they quit having concerts. All those kinds of things. You couldn't hardly even get to the barbershop and get a haircut for a while. Well, Nancy Pelosi got one, but you can't have one. So about a year after the first wave of inflation came the second wave of inflation because the entire country had been shut down and you couldn't shop at malls or stores for the most part. You couldn't go out to eat. There were no cars to buy. They weren't being produced. In fact, my farmer friends couldn't even buy tractors mm -hmm. because the chip that makes the tractor run was not being produced. So they had all these tractors sitting there that didn't have any of these chips. So for about a year, the country was out of business. And then one day, Maybe thanks to Florida, I don't know. But one day, suddenly, people began to take their masks off. People said, had enough of this, not going to do this anymore. And slowly but surely, the mask ordinances began to fall, and all the restrictions began to fall, and the businesses began to reopen. And suddenly, people who'd been spending their money only on goods and products decided now they're going to go spend their money on services. And they began eating in restaurants, and they began traveling, and they began going to concerts. And all of this activity on the service side of the economy began building the second wave of inflation. 
Because as there was more service demand, let's just think about your restaurant for a moment. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there were less servers in that restaurant because those people are all earning government money. They haven't gone back to work yet. So we have to pay the few servers who are in the restaurant more. And we haven't even mentioned food prices yet, which have caused the prices Mm -hmm. in the restaurant to go up. So do you see how the second wave, the reopening of the economy, contributed to inflation. So we got two waves coming in and crashing. One wave, make it, maybe we can handle, but when two waves hit the shore, oh, oh, that's hard to swim out of two waves. And then came the third wave. Now, this is Patrice's favorite wave, I know, because she's mentioned commodity prices more than once. And this is really the commodity wave. It's a wave that was caused by two things. First of all, it was caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And that resulted in a great price hike in commodities like food. There was already a price hike going on in the commodities market. Fertilizer was already expensive. Did you know Ukraine, by the way, Mm -hmm. is the number one producer of urea in the world? And urea is a major component of fertilizer, which is what farmers use to fertilize their crops. I have a farm and I didn't buy any fertilizer this year. I'd rather sell cows and grow less grass than pay the price for fertilizer that's crazy because commodities are high. Ukraine is a big agricultural region, and because of question about whether or not Ukraine would be producing products this year because they've been invaded by Russia, suddenly we see a great price hike in commodities like food. But it's not just commodities like food, and it's not just because of Russia. The second thing that affected commodity prices were the policies of the United States government surrounding energy. And that created a great price hike in fuel. So food and fuel are both considered commodities. And if you've tried to fill up your gas tank or if you've tried to fill up your refrigerator in the past few months, you know that you're paying a lot more than you were six months ago or a year ago. It's gone up an astronomical amount. Now, I buy lunch most days at a restaurant around my office, one of a few that are here. And I used to go get lunch for about eight bucks. But I've noticed now that lunch is $15. If I go just to get my sandwich and a Coke and maybe a bag of chips, 15 bucks. What's it like with you, Patrice? I don't go for lunch. Oh, well, there you go. You wait and go for dinner because you're earning the big bucks and you can afford the dinner plates. Yeah, to, be I have quite, to be quite honest, I look around and I see prices and say, no, I'll, I'll stay just, home. Yeah, I'll stay just, home and make it myself. <laughs> well, and, and isn't that so tremendously legitimate? It's absolutely right. And I've started bringing my lunch more, interestingly yeah. enough, because we're seeing all across the board commodity prices like food and fuel that have gone up. So these three things, staying home, purchasing goods, then reopening the economy, beginning to consume services, and then the combination of the government's policies on fuel and the Russian invasion of Ukraine have all impacted agricultural prices. So all of these together have resulted in inflation that right now is costing you 8.5% more to live than it did last year. And if we don't get control of it quickly, it'll cost you 8.5% more by next year. And the question is, how do you get control of it? Well, now nobody really for sure knows. The Fed wants to try. Well, we got all these people with PhDs in economics. And, you know, I have a degree in economics. I'm not as proud of it as some of those guys are because I recognize how often it fails me. But the Federal Reserve is who controls interest rates. And they're trying to kill all these forms of inflation that have arisen. And their goal is to control inflation, to cool inflation off by raising interest rates. Because here's the theory. 
When people go to buy something and they have to pay a higher rate of interest to borrow the money to buy it, there's the theory that, well, they'll just decide not to buy it because interest is too high. So the effect of rising interest rates and a rising inflationary environment then contributes to stock market volatility. And this volatility is what's causing the markets to swing and go up 2 or 3% today and down 5% tomorrow. It's a phenomenon that has caused everybody to be economically seasick. And they begin to pull back and just leave the marketplace. And they become like Patrice and say, well, I think I'll just eat at home today. Yes. So but, that's the atmosphere we live in. But what? But what is the volume of trading these days on the market? I've not paid attention. Are that many people really sitting on the sidelines? Well, I think there are a lot of people who are sitting on the sidelines. For example, we are trading 99% less than we did this time last year. Mm -hmm. uh, we still have occasional trades that happen, but 99% less. Because what's happened is all of this has influenced stock prices. There's been a divergence between the value of what's going on in the companies and the stock prices. Now, here's an interesting phenomenon. I was just at my favorite Mexican restaurant speaking of food in my little bitty town that I live in of 3,000 people where there is a great Mexican restaurant. And the young Mexican lady who owns this restaurant and works in it, who, by the way, just bought a new home. Good for her. I'm thrilled that they are living out the American dream. I just talked with that when I saw her last week, and I'll be having dinner with her tonight because mom and dad are coming over. And I told them I'd buy them the best Mexican food in Rogersville, Missouri. <laughs> And so, so this young lady I was talking to, she said, you know, COVID was really great for us. She said business really boomed during COVID. The takeout? Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and it was, so that was, that was really surprising that she was just that blunt about it. And she's like, business really boomed. So what we're seeing is across the board, we're seeing businesses that maybe had been having difficulty during COVID. Hers wasn't one of them that are beginning to come back to life. And then we've got companies that never had any COVID trouble in the first place. So these businesses are all doing better. They've got higher revenues. And if you've got higher revenues, hopefully that translates into higher net revenues or higher income earned for the business owners. And so the result is these businesses are doing better and better, and they have more what we call intrinsic value. It just means the business is worth more. If we went to sell it, it would be worth more. And it's theoretically that if we went to sell it kind of value that translates into stock prices. I say theoretically because where are stock prices today? They're down, mm -hmm. down, down. So isn't it odd that at the same time that businesses are doing well and becoming worth more and more and more and more and more, that stock prices are going down and down and down and down and down because of this pessimism that has taken over the mentality of people. Now, this zone of pessimism has created what I really should call a zone of buying opportunity because companies are underpriced today. They're underpriced, or at least they're headed toward being underpriced. And so we are in a zone of opportunity right now when we ought to buy uh, stocks. And the question is, should we buy them today? And we're going to talk about that here in just a few moments. Now, here's something interesting for you when you think about this zone of opportunity, Patrice. Over the past 70 years, by the way, that represents about 25,500 days. Over the past 70 years, about 16,000 of those days have been times when the stock market was down from zero to 10%. Mm-hmm. When you take any of those 16,000 days and you look out 365 days later and say, okay, what was the stock price doing one year later? On average, 
The average gain in stocks one year later after that negative year is about 8.3%. Now, there's no guarantee that the past will repeat itself in the future. But the fact that on average, out of those 16,000 negative days, one year later, the market on average is up about 8.5%. So that causes us to just pause a moment and ask ourselves this question. Where do you think the markets are likely to be one year from now? Well, I don't know. My crystal ball is broken. All I can do is look back at history and observe what has occurred. Here's another way to think about it, using a different set of numbers, but the same concept. In the past 70 years, there have been about 800 days when the stock market was down between 30 and 40%. When the market's down 30 to 40%, 365 days later, the average increase in the market is about 14%. So if you're sitting on cash today, the market's down about 20% right now, maybe you ought to hope that the market goes down another 10 or 15, get us to that 30 or 40% range. So then you can put your cash to work. And history says that potentially you'll be up 14% a year from now. Or do you bite the bullet and say, I'll get in now and I'll just see if, if it does go down. You've got to stay the course, whatever you choose to do. That's, don't a, you, Barry? that's a great question. I'm going to address that in just a second. But I want to give you one more statistic just to mess with your mind, Patrice. So over the past 70 years, out of those 25,500 days, there have been only 31 days that the stock market was down by 50% or more. 31? In 70 years. And when we look out one year from each of those 31 days and see where the market is on average a year later, it has increased by 53%. So a big drop and a big bounce. Exactly. Exactly. So the message that I want you to hear is that there is a current market downturn that is creating opportunity for you. And the question that you've already brought up, Patrice, is now the time to get into the market. Now, I'm kind of famous for saying my crystal ball is broken, and indeed it is. But based on what I'm seeing, I don't think that now is the time to get back in the market. Not yet. But that day will come, and you want to be thinking about that day, and you want to be ready for that day. Now, if you're one of our clients, you already know that we have you sitting on the sidelines in cash preparing for that particular day. And you know that one day, six weeks or six months from now, however long it is, you'll suddenly see a flurry of activity in your account as we put your money back to work. But not yet, because we're not yet there yet. We're not in a hurry And we're waiting on the right time. So the question is, when is that right time and how will we know it when it comes? Well, here's how I think about it. Perhaps this will be helpful for you too. One of the measurements that we use in our work every day is what I call the bull bear indicator. It ranks the supply and demand ratio of the stock market from one to 100. And so one is no demand at all, and 100 is maximum demand when times are really good. And often when times are good, we see that number in the 70s or in the 80s. The lowest that we've ever seen it in the past 20 years is down around 24. And that was in uh, the 2000 tech wreck, Mm -hmm. 2000, 2001, 2002. And then again in 2008, we saw it down around 24. But that number today that used to be at 24 in those bad days that I said in good times was 70 or 80, that number today is sitting at 29. Now that's low. 
And that data tells us that the market doesn't switch back to true demand until it gets to about 55. So that tells you that based on what we're seeing right now, there's going to be a lot more volatility and we probably aren't going to climb back above the 55 number for quite some time because we're at 29 today. So we got to move back to 55 before Barry says, okay, everybody get in. Here we go. Now that does not mean necessarily that our clients won't see any transactions in their account. They may, because there are a few things that we sometimes buy in a market like this, but mostly we stay out of the way because we think there's an accident going to happen out there on the street and we don't want the flying shrapnel to hit us. We don't want to get caught up in the carnage of the wreck that is to come. So you're not going to see us enthusiastically pressing the accelerator until we see that number that's currently at 29 back up around the 55 inch range. Well, it's not inches. I misspoke Close there. Enough. Wait, yeah. Wait. yeah. The 55 range. How about that? So, so the question, Patrice is what should you do? What should you do? Yeah. What decision or, or, should you make? Or do you bet on a low market? Do you bet against the market? I personally prefer to let the numbers speak to me and I'm not going to try to make emotional decisions and be smarter because I know I'm not, I've done it too many times. It doesn't work. <laughs> I'm going to let the numbers speak to me. And I'm telling you right now, what the numbers are saying is sit still, don't do it. So literally the way I would express that to a client or to you, Patrice would be to say, uh, this is kind of like riding an airplane when the ride gets rough. And, you know, only once or twice in my life do I ever remember getting off a plane where I, when my wife picked me up at the airport, I actually said to her, that was rough. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, I don't, it doesn't register. I don't think anything about it. But there have been times it's like, holy freaking smoke, man, this is a rough ride. I hope we make it down. So here's what you do during rough rides on the airplane. You shut up, sit down and buckle your seatbelt. And hang on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was hoping the seatbelt would hang on to you so you didn't have to hang on. But yes, you dig your nails in. Mm -hmm. So the point is you should be keeping your seat and have your seatbelt fastened. And oh, here's something else. This is a big tip for you, Patrice. You should quit watching that movie about airplane crashes, <laughs> which, by the way, in this case is the nightly news and NBC and Fox News and CNBC and all those other news and stock market economic channels, because they do nothing but depress you, upset you, and make you think that you should be doing something when what you really should be doing is sitting in that seat with your seatbelt on and, and letting the storm pass. And drinking. Well, if you choose to drink, more power to you. <laughs> you should be able, though, Patrice, to depend on your advisor to keep their eye on the markets and to tell you what they think is best for times like these. Now, if you don't have an advisor, well, that's why we exist at Wealthcare Corporation. So reach out to us and see if we can help you. And there are a couple of ways that you can do that. First, you can go to our website. It's www.wealthcarecorp.com, wealthcarecorp.com. And there you'll find a way to reach us by email and send us a message, or you'll find a phone number. You can call us. The number is 417-882-1726, 417-882-1726. So just go to Wealthcare Corp and reach out to us, and we'll see if there's not some way that we can help you. So I had a couple of interesting client experiences recently. One of them was just day before yesterday. 
And uh, she just blurted out in the middle of our conversation. I've never actually met this person face to face. I've met her Zoom to Zoom. Our entire relationship is a Zoom relationship. She lives up in the north, up on the Canadian border, in fact. And she said, hey, Barry, Barry, I want to let you know that since we did the things that you told us to do last year, our tax bracket, we went down two brackets in how much tax we had to pay. Woo! That's victory. Yes. Good. That's exactly what we want to do. Now, I had a client who was in uh, actually that same day, two days ago. Um, and here's an interesting thing. Their account was worth between one and $2 million. And their account was down in value by about 2%. Mm-hmm. while the stock market itself is down about 20%. Now, don't misunderstand. The stock market portion of their account was down more than 2%. It was down about 10%. But we don't have all of their money in, in stock risky kinds of things. We've got some of their money in very safe places that are not affected by down stock markets. So overall, their assets were down by 2% when the market itself was down 20%. Now, that's the kind of client who's going to be able to retire confidently and stay retired with confidence and age with financial dignity because they know they don't have to be scared about turmoil in the markets. And the little lady in her 70s who sat across the table from me yesterday grabbed my hand and said, when I came in, I had a lot of questions, but now I feel more comfortable because I see that we really are protected from what's going on in the markets. She said it way better than I could have ever said it. And she certainly captured what we do at the Wealthcare Corporation. So if you need help getting ready to retire, pick up the phone and call us. Uh, there are, you can go to the website and you'll find all of our contact information if that's what you prefer to do, www.wealthcarecorp.com. If today's episode and the things we've talked about have been helpful and enlightening to you, I hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast so you'll get all of the episodes as they are released. Go to wherever you get your podcasts. Look up the truth about taxes and retirement and hit subscribe and then just go down the screen just a little ways and click on share and share this episode with someone else who you think might find it helpful. Until the next time on the truth about taxes and retirement, I'm Barry Watts reminding you that when it comes to retirement, sometimes it's not as important to make money as it is just to keep yourself from losing money. This podcast is a production of the Wealthcare Corporation. The concepts discussed are for informational and educational purposes only and should not be implemented without first consulting with your own legal, tax, and investment counsel. This has not been an offer to buy, sell, or invest in securities, and this information is to be taken as educational concepts, not as advice for you specifically. The lawyers like for us to remind you that all investment involves risk, and you could lose money. Past performance is never a guarantee of future results. Tax strategy services are provided by American Tax Strategies, LLC. Investment advisory services are provided by Wealthcare Asset Management, LLC. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.